Hey, DJ. Hey, brother. I usually start these by having people describe their immediate surroundings. Okay. I'm, I'm In whatever saying... way that means. It could even uh-huh. mean that you're describing the contents of your own imagination, DJ. Uh huh. Yeah, so I'm staying with a friend here in Charlotte, and so I'm in her guest room with the tent set up in the guest room. So I'm still in camping mode with my thermorest and my wool blanket in the tent in the house. It's probably because I smell like the outside, so she's keeping me as separated from the inside as she can. But <laughs> <laughs> understandable. Well, that's hilarious, man. And been been there. That's a very familiar and and warm message. That's <laughs> cool. So are you so are you traveling through this area? Is that like what's the context? Yeah, so I've been here for a couple months. I was out in South Dakota until through like October, and then I caught a ride back here. Okay, and cool. And then so I spent, spent time on the computer, was doing the, um, putting together the website for the Unsheltered Earth, Earthbag thing, and then planned to probably go out to South Dakota soonish. but every time I check in, it's about 20 below zero out there, so I'm fine to kind of just chill out for a little while longer. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Do you want to maybe use that as our segue to talk a little bit about Unsheltered Earth and what you've been doing out in South Dakota? Sure, yeah. Um, So I've become uh, part of the community there on Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. You know, I went to Standing Rock a few years ago and for the No Dapple protests and then got to meet a lot of Native folks and kind of, you know, sort of become, learn about that culture and become a part of a spiritual community that's out there in Rosebud and so I go out there every year so I'm out there for a couple months every year from August till like I was there till October this year and housing you know housing on the reservation is it's ridiculously low you know there's there's not much for houses and the houses that are there are falling apart and a lot of people are in FEMA trailers that are meant for meant for six months to live in after a hurricane and they've been living in for five or six years through blizzard conditions I like the the medicine man that I stay with when I go out there, he, his FEMA trailer, the entire ceiling had collapsed from snowstorms last winter. And so it was just like all the drywall just completely collapsed. And it was like four feet of snow in his living room. And, and it's like this on a lot of reservations and all over the place. And so I, I knew this kind of was part of my journey and part of my path was working on housing stuff. And, and also food has been a big part of it, but But what do you, what do you do, you know? Some a change like that really has come from within the reservation. I'm not gonna come out to the, to the reservation and just start putting together houses or something. And then also, you know, I wanted to be ecologically focused. You know, there's, there's six times the amount of empty houses in America than there are homeless people. Like the problem is not that we need more houses in general. The reservation as a community needs more houses, but in general, we don't need to just be building more houses endlessly as we tear down the forest to build them, you know. So I had been looking into some more ecological building, natural building. Somebody had mentioned earthbag building to me a couple of years ago and thought it was real interesting, but didn't know too much about it. And mentioned it in one of my books, kind of mentioned just a little bit of what I had learned about it. And then was looking for a ride out to South Dakota two years ago. And found a guy on Craigslist, you know, I don't drive a car or anything. I hitchhike or catch rides and check Craigslist and stuff. And found this guy on Craigslist that was building an earthbag house in Colorado. 
And so I figured I could catch a ride out to Colorado and then get up to South Dakota from there. And so it just seemed pretty serendipitous to be a good opportunity to, to learn more about it. And so I rode out with him and then went to South Dakota and then came back to Colorado and stayed last winter in Colorado and camped out there. And we built an earthback house. Dang, I know you, you write about the magic of Craigslist and the connections that can be made. I, I had not realized or didn't remember that actually you're learning to make earthbag houses at all was Craigslist interaction. Yeah, it was me trying to just catch a ride out to South Dakota and then found this guy that built an earthbag house. And that was already something that I knew was kind of going to be part of my path. You know, I don't plan too much ahead. I kind of try to live in the moment and stuff like this just kind of works out. And so I knew that it would come together in the right way. Yeah, Craigslist is cool, man. You know, back when I was doing music and doing work with you and stuff, I would use Craigslist a lot and got a lot of good music students and all sorts of connections that then led to bigger clients. And, you know, I've had lots and lots of good luck on Craigslist. Sold microphones and ended up making friends that are friends still, you know, for 20 years. And so. Right. And then, yeah, I've done a lot of you know, Craigslist ride sharing, I'll make a post and I've got a pretty unique story. You know, not everybody's necessarily going to want to ride with me across the country, but the people that do really are going to want to, you know, and I don't offer any kind of money. I hadn't used money in four years. I, so I don't have any kind of stuff to offer in the way of gas or anything, but I put a little bit about my story and then the, and it definitely catches the attention. I've made a lot of friends on Craigslist that people that weren't offering rides they were actually looking for rides themselves and found my ad and it resonated with them and then we've stayed in contact and then they've read my books and stuff and met some folks so there's been craigslist magic where we weren't even connected on craigslist for the thing we were looking for and then somehow we've you know developed friends on there it's pretty cool um so wow. yeah so i rode out with him that we built it was just a small little shack like a little tester building 100 square foot little earth bag building so just like a brief synopsis of what earth bag building is you know it's basically adobe they call it super adobe so you're basically making these adobe blocks with sand and clay and water a little bit of water and you can put a little bit of concrete or lime in it to harden it and so then you put that into the bag instead of making the adobe block and dry it in the sun you pack it into a bag like a feed sack and then it is able to cure on the wall and cures over the next couple months after you build it. So you're able to just continue building and the bag acts as structural integrity as you're building it up. So you fill these bags. First, you, you mine a bunch of dirt and get it uncompacted and sift it out. So it's a lot of pickaxing and digging and back breaking labor. And then you mix it up and wheelbarrow it to the building and then you scoop it and put it into these bags and... You have a little concrete tamper and you tamp it into the bag and you line all these bags up along your entire perimeter of the wall. So you basically like Legos, you're doing an entire run all the way around and then you go up and you tamp these. So you get this concrete tamper and you're slamming it as hard as you can and getting the concrete, the bags to go from eight or nine inches thick down to about four to five inches thick. So you just... It's a lot that I cannot put into words how much work the tamping is of the project and your hands will be just, you know, worn out from holding this tamper. And then you put a layer, two runs of barbed wire on top of that. And then that is what will hold the next bag. You put the next layer of bags on top of that and the barbed wire sticks into the bags above it and below it and kind of locks it into place. And so that's what adds the tensile strength to the entire structure and keeps it huh. together. And you can do straight 
square buildings with straight walls, but this was a round building. And that's what we're going to be building is round buildings. And so it really is an incredibly strong shape because, you know, a dome is the strongest shape of any kind of building. And so then you've got this basically a stone 14 inch, 16 inch thick stone wall once it's hardened with barbed wire in between every row holding it all together. And then as your dome comes up to the top, it all creates its own roof. So you're not even having to attach some type of separate roof onto the structure. It's just one process all the way up. And it's really, as far as the the know-how and the knowledge of it, it's really super simple. I mean, it's digging dirt, putting it in these bags, stacking them up, and tamping them down, and just doing that over and over. You know, there's some little finesse to it and some little details you figure out along the way but it's really the exact same process over and over and over and we were building this one with just two people we had a couple helpers a couple times but but mainly it was just the two of us and mainly it was just me for a lot of it so one person really could do this entire project all by themselves but at the same time it's super easy for more people to plug in because it's just this assembly line so it'd be easy to have three people digging dirt and three people mixing it up and three people putting it into bags and three people stacking them on the wall. So you could easily incorporate 20 people into that same, into that same system, which is what we're hoping with this project, because it would be a lot if it's just going to be me and a couple people. Um, and then when you get done, you can, you stucco the whole outside and the inside, and then you can, you could do, I mean, you can, there's been earthback houses that look just like a normal house. They just have straight walls, square walls, and then put drywall up inside of that. And you couldn't tell anything about it that you couldn't tell that's that it amazing was... i was gonna ask so you said you made your like test one in colorado was 100 square feet like what's the what's the biggest size that, that you're going to be making now as part of this project so what we've got our plan is we're going to be doing mainly domes and so we've kind of set it up to where the different houses that we build we can incorporate different size domes and connect them together depending on what our needs are so we're going to start with our community center which will give us a good base, you know, as we continue the rest of the project. And so that's going to be a 20 foot dome. So it's 20 foot across and it's 20 foot high. So it'll be a 20 foot circle. And then that will be the main kind of hangout space and wood stove and meeting space. And then connected to that will be a 16 foot dome. So 16 foot across and 16 foot up. And that's going to be our kitchen which because we're going to be cooking for the community, so a fairly sizable kitchen. But if you were turning this into a house, you could just put the kitchen in with a living room and make this into your bedroom or something. Mm. And then we're going to have a 12-foot bathroom and then a 12-foot root cellar. So that, including both of the big ones, will have a loft in it. So at 10 foot up, there'll be a loft space for sleeping or storage. So including the loft, that's going to be about 1,000 square feet. And so we'll probably also just build some just tiny homes, which would just be 16 feet domes or 20 foot domes which will be like 200 square feet i think a 16 foot domes right at 200 square feet wow and then <laughs> and then we'll be building this first one we're going to be putting it earth burned so the whole north side is going to be about 12 feet of dirt piled up all the way up the back side and so that way we can catch the thermal mass that's the real advantage of these earth bag homes is you have the thermal mass so you're connected right. with the earth we're going to be sinking ours down about two feet down into the ground and then have like an adobe stone floor. And then with that earth berm on the back, we'll be able to use, utilize the earth's steady temperature. You know, it says a steady 52 degrees, 55 degrees, something like that, depending on where you're at. In South Dakota, it says, you know, right now it was like zero degrees there the other day. It's been getting 20 below. And then in the summertime, it gets up to 100 degrees. So we've got both extremes 
of the spectrum. And so when you're utilizing that thermal mass, we'll only be heating from 55 or from 52 instead of having to heat from the zero degrees that's going on outside. You know, right now they're in these FEMA trailers, which are super, you know, not even designed at all for the blizzard temperatures. And right. Having to run all this electricity or propane or whatever to keep them keep them heated and then you see what's going on like down in texas where you run out of the electricity and the propane and then you're in the situation where you are screwed you know you don't have anything and so with the thermal mass it will help in the winter time because we'll have that steady 55 and then it also helps in the summertime because you've got that steady 55 degrees you know they're thoroughly thoroughly tested down in new mexico area you know in the southwest and there's a lot of people that don't run any auxiliary heating or cooling all year long because that steady temperature is enough to keep it to keep it a comfortable living temperature inside. Now we're going to be dealing with a lot colder, so I imagine we're still going to have to run the wood stove. But then also, all that thermal mass is going to absorb all that heat from the wood stove. So then, as we maybe run it in the morning or run it at night, it just steadily lets that temperature back out of the wall. And we're doing a thing that's called a passive annual heat storage battery so that whole earth berm in the back will have a layer of waterproofing over top of that and then some more dirt to hold it down but so that keeps all that earth dry so basically all summer the sun's going to be coming in through our windows on the south side and it's going to be charging that earth berm plus our wood stoves whenever we run them and so it'll just like store all this energy and then throughout the winter that will slowly be able to come out and keep us warm wow and then in the summer It'll help keep us cool and then we've got these cooling tubes that run through that berm and so then whenever you open the cooling tube you just have like a little hatch and so you open it and convection draws in the cool air which moves through that berm which is like 52 degrees and then so you have cool air blowing out into the space with just this natural convection driven cooling system so it's going to be cool it's going to be a lot of work I've had enough space between doing that last earth bag project and now doing this one that I think fondly of it. But obviously, you know, after building that whole thing, and we just, I was pretty worn out for sure. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's going to be, it's an exciting project. It's going to be a whole community. You know, it's going to be a lot of folks that are living on the reservation that are going to be coming and being a part of it that may be part of the community once it gets built. And it's going to be a lot of folks I've been sharing it with, a lot of water protectors I was out at Standing Rock with and other folks I've met on the travels. And Yeah, that's something I'm curious about, too. You said that you became very much a part of like a spiritual community of both people who are living on the reservations and the whole community, you know, the national and international community of people who come to help that cause. Like what what is that? like and what form does that take and in what way are you really involved in each other's like spiritual lives uh-huh i mean it has been life transformational for sure um before standing rock i wasn't spiritual at all you know i was grew up christian baptist and then that knew that wasn't for me you know pretty early on and atheist for a while and then started you know became a hippie and started realizing that there's something you know there's some some energies or crystals or some kind of hippie magic going on out there and then went to Standing Rock and just experienced, you know, went to Sweat Lodge and experienced that and just experienced this, it was just incredible magical energy that was going on there and you just saw magic and miracles happen every day, you know, this, the, you could manifest something, you could mention that you needed something and someone would walk in the room and hand it to you, it's the manifestation power there was this, this is remarkable. 
and just little steps like that along the way just made me start to to start to connect something a little bit bigger spiritually and then i think it was through the sweat lodge i sweat i think five times while i was out there and you know thought i was going to die a couple of the times and i think that's part of it. it took me took me to the edge of some place to where i was then opened up to something new or it helped to it helps to melt and shed your ego away being in the sweat lodge where ego my ego was stopping me from being able to believe on some in something bigger and also you know it was very science minded and that's you know, a reason why I couldn't believe in you know Christianity the literalist way that I grew up was because of I believe in science and so if it's not going to mesh with that you know I couldn't see that those two things were going to we're going to work. And then the guy that was pouring the sweat, the medicine guy, he explained all this stuff about prayer and spirit and vibrations and quantum physics and the way that prayers travel out. It was all these stuff that resonated with me that from the studies I had done on quantum physics and stuff. And I was like, well, it all made sense. And I like it unlocked this thing and shed the ego away and just somehow got me onto this path. I wouldn't say it was at that moment that I had a religious experience, but it was later on, you know, a month or two later on that it kind of just at a moment hit. And then I, I felt this belief in this higher thing and it felt this connection and connection with the earth, Unchi Maka, grandmother earth, you know, felt connected with her in a big way. And, and so then I went out to Sundance for the, that next year out there at Rosebud. I would stand in Virginia on this farm at this homestead where everything we eat came off the land. Salt was the only thing we bought from town. And we sweat every day there for 45 days and started to really, really connect with the Sweat Lodge and with the songs and started to learn a lot of the prayer songs, Lakota songs. And see, I went out to Sundance in 2017 in South Dakota and met the medicine man who was the spiritual leader for all of the spiritual leaders that I had sweat with at camp. And so we got to meet him and be there for part of the, be there for the Sundance and help and didn't really know what I was getting into or didn't know what was going on or anything while I was there as much then. But then I ended up staying for a couple months afterwards and camped out. Sundance lasts for about two weeks. Um, but I stayed for a couple months and then the last four years, I've gone out there for a few months every year. Now, when I go, I'm, you know, the medicine man lives right there on site. I'm like his main helper during the ceremony. I'm helping whatever they need to do, you know, helping tend the fire and helping run the sweat lodges, run the rocks in for the lodge. And, and just this community of folks is, you know, the community of folks that I met at Standing Rock where it was just like the coolest most awesome people you could ever possibly imagine you know as people that were there for they have been called in their heart and people that were there from all walks of life you know data folks for sure and then other hippies that were living off grid and doing the environmental thing and people that were out there for all sorts of reasons and just the most most amazing amazing folks and we were in the rosebud camp which was not the main camp there were three camps so chetty sakoin Rosebud and uh, Sacred Stone. And so Chetty was the real big camp that was in the big field. It had lots and lots and lots of people. And then our camp was across the river, Rosebud. And it was, we call it, call it, it was like the suburbs of Standing Rock. And because everybody knew everybody, you know, it was throughout the winter. I said, I was there for the winter, so for three months. Um, 
and it, everybody knew everybody, everybody knew whose teepee was whose or where everybody was staying. And I was ended up being the head chef. So everybody was there for dinner every night. And so just got super close with all these folks and have remained close with them since, you know, I see a lot of them. I saw probably 20 different water protectors this year traveling. And so that was Rosebud Camp, which was founded by the folks on the Rosebud Reservation and by the spiritual community that I've become a part of. And so a lot of those folks also come to the Sundance where, where I go. And then the new fam community that I've met through Sundance that were not at Standard Rock, this is just the same thing. It's all these amazing, incredibly amazing folks that come from around the country and folks that are there on the reservation. And coming there to give and the selflessness that they exhibit, uh, it's just, it's just this massively inspiring thing. And then just through this, you know, years being there with the doing the Sundance and doing sweat lodges and praying, I've just found this this way to pray and this way to walk with that prayer. And so as I've traveled, you know, the country, I'm not ever scared. I don't travel with money. I haven't traveled with money in four years. And walk and carry my songs and carry my prayer and have just been so blessed every time. The miracle, you know, the stuff that happens and then somehow just like it blows my mind how the prayers get answered and the stuff always works out in just the perfect way. And have just given me this incredible faith that I know that that they're looking out for me. You know, we we talk about uh Maka, Grandmother Earth, so I pray to the earth a lot and put my hands in the earth and and give tobacco, you know, it's a thing we do, give tobacco to the mm -hmm. earth and, and to the fire. You know, it acts as a conduit for our prayers, for that energy to, to travel. We, you know, we pray to Tenkashula, our grandfather, up in the stars, you know, and I don't know, it's hard to put into words, really. You know, it's, if you know more back when you knew me, you know, we never really talked about spirituality or anything like that, but I've, Anybody that knew me back then, and now they'd see what I'm going doing. It's a completely life transformational, and you know, committed my life to the earth and protecting the earth and and helping folks. And yeah, I'm curious about what that spiritual exchange feels like, like your relationship with the rest of the world now, because you're in this place where you've been living without money successfully for four years. And you've also been like writing books and releasing them for free. So you've got this like very rich exchange of life and energy, but all with like this like very elegant price tag of zero dollars. Like what's that been like? It's so incredible. Oh, it's so incredible. What's the what's really good is when I'm like I was hitchhiking. I was out in Colorado and I hitchhiked back to NC last year and um you know, I got caught in Albuquerque for like a day. I made it in four days. I made it from Colorado to North Carolina, hitchhiking in four days. Wow. And a day and a half of that, I was in Albuquerque. kind of got stuck there. It was like, I made it faster than you could drive it, really, you know. And um, so I was in Albuquerque and hitchhiking. You know, I'm sitting there at the flying sign right at the entrance ramp to the to get on. And there's a bunch of, you know, street folks out there in Albuquerque. There's people with signs on every corner. So people don't even really look at you. You know, they just roll up the window and stare there so they couldn't even notice that my sign I wouldn't ask him for money you know I was just trying to catch a ride mm -hmm. east and but a lot of folks would stop and would give me food you know and 
and they would stop and try to give me money. And then they would try to hold the five out the window. I'm like, no, no, I, I, I don't use money. I, no, take it, take it. So, no, I, I didn't use money in a, in a long time. I'm just trying to catch right ease and just the, to see that the realization come into their head is just like so cool. Like it was more often than not by the end of our conversation, our one minute conversation, two minute conversation while they're sitting at the light, they're jealous of it. The one guy is like, ah, I stopped because I thought you needed help. And now I'm jealous of you. I'm going off to my shit job, you know, I'm, <laughs> what I'm doing and you're doing, you're like living the life. You know, once I tell them, you know, I'm not stuck out here, you know, I'm out here by choice. I've been doing this awesome stuff and I'm headed east to go do some more awesome stuff. And Uh, it's super empowering to not have the money play any role in decisions that I make, you know, right. even big and small, you know, but even before, even back when I, you know, we were together, it's money. I wouldn't money focus, you know, I hadn't never, never really been too money is the main thing, but you had to have it. You know, I ran a music business for a long time and you had to always struggled with money, but you always had to have it, had to make little decisions from what you eat. Oh, I can't get the the nice meat, I have to get the cheap meat because that's all right. I can afford, you know, from that it plays just such a, you just don't realize how it plays just such a role in every little decision that you make about every little thing and about your quality of life and what you're going to prioritize on your quality of life that you're going to have quality this and then not have this or at Christmas time, you're making a shopping list and I know I only have this much money, so I have to put a price tag on how much I love each person. That way I make sure that I spend the right amount. I remember doing right. that. I didn't think of it at the time, but I remember looking at it like, geez, they had to put down and figure out who got what thing. It was just like so much. So now I just so, so incredibly empowering to not have that at all weighing on anything, on any decision. And so I've just lived such a rich and incredible life. I've eaten the best food and had the best journeys and the best adventures and met, met the best folks. And, you know, I have to not be afraid to walk a little bit or to do some work. You know, I, I, I don't try to barter either. I, you know, that's only really an extension of the money system. I try to just give away everything for free and give away my time for free with no expectation. Like that earth house guy, I was happy to be there learning how to do it. And so he fed me and kept me fresh on tobacco or whatever I needed. But, you know, I was happy to, to be there. And then he kept wanting to pay me and I wasn't willing to do that. And then he was going to maybe, maybe get me a teepee or something. I'm in the market to, in the market. <laughs> I'm looking to get a teepee sometime soon. Right. For my friends that make a teepee. But so, that hadn't worked out, but if I had been in money world, I would be feel like he owed me and feel like, oh, I need to get that thing, and then it would put stress on our relationship. You know, how many relationships have been ruined over money? Lots in my life. Oh, my God, right. Over just small little things, you know, and so that's no longer at all a factor in anything, and there's no hidden tensions in relationships. How many relationships is there like this hidden underlying tension where there's some kind of money-related thing, even if it's just your roommate that you are late on rent or whatever it is, you know, there's just so many tiny little details that money affects or, and so they're just being completely gone from my psyche. It's just released this freed me. And, um, it makes me uncomfortable and kind of sick feeling when I do have to touch money. I've only touched money maybe like 10 or 12 times in the last four years for uh -huh. somebody else, like running in to get gas and riding with somebody. Right. They say, hey, will you go in and pay for gas? I'm not going to not do that. You know? Yeah. But even just touching it that little bit, it makes me start to feel kind of sick feeling. And there was, there was one time, one time early, whenever I stopped 
use money that first year that somebody had given me five bucks because I was traveling from North Carolina to Washington State. So they gave me five bucks just in case I needed some food or something. And then that whole time, I just like felt it in my pocket. And then I, I was like, well, I, I can't spend this on this because I need I might need to have this other thing or I might need to. I can't buy this piece of pizza because then I might need this other thing over here. And I just like I feel it like creeping back in. I was trying to qualify every decision with what was going to be best for this money. So I just bought as much pizza as I could. That way I could get rid of it. And right. I did, you know. Yeah, it's completely life changing to live with that money. You don't have to not be naive to the fact that money is being spent in my name you know i'm staying here with a friend who's feeding me you know doing been work around the house and working out in the yard and stuff or whatever but or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna go visit the family next week and they're gonna be feeding me and that's i understand that that money is coming from somewhere that being said i try not to live out in what i call the colonized world out in civilization too often. right you know it's my favorite is to be staying on that farm that homestead where everything we ate came off the land and so i was putting my energy directly into where the food is coming from instead of going to the job across town to then be able to go to the store to buy the food that wasn't even near as good as the food that i could just grow myself and do you feel like you're participating in the rewilding of society yes yes rewilding i love that term yeah do you want to talk about this uh uh, term that you've coined no, I didn't coin it. Yeah, it was already it was already a thing. Um, well, I shouldn't say coin it. The first time I heard it was. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, I mean, well, society is obviously not wild right now. You know, it's being tamed, and people are in captivity, and they're in their cubicles, and in their right, and they get out of their cubicle and get in their little car cubicle and drive across in the traffic cubicle, and then get back home into their own little individual box where they have to have their their individual set of food and they have to have their individual lawnmower that they use once a week and they have to have their, you know, all this individualization. And so we've lost the the community and the, which I feel is, you know, is essential to life really. You know, we've, we've evolved as communal, communal people, you know, and, and so we've lost that connection with the earth, you know, to me, rewilding is about connection with the earth, you know. And so I spend a lot of my time way out in the woods. I got some friends that make teepees for a living. They have a pedal powered sewing machine and set up their tent in the woods and make teepees. It's a family of five kids and two adults that live on a school bus when they're traveling or they live in their teepee and they're unschooled and just the most incredible well-rounded knowledgeable children that you ever have ever possibly met they haven't been to school or learned any kind of colonial education indoctrination they've learned real life you know the 11 year olds out there with this helping skin a deer and the three-year-old mm-hmm. cooking on the fire and using you know that's it's, they've learned actual skills and that's they're the folks that really that learned about rewilding from and, and really living in connection with the earth and with the flows of the earth you know Eat, even the small things like eating within season, eating by the season, or living with the flow of the land, and and not being so caught up on permanence, and having to having to take a permanent stake and put out a permanent big concrete pad and build a big house that's going to last for a hundred years. That way, your kids can grow up to then go into their house that they're going to build for their kids and into the same deal where we've got all these houses. 
we're living more on the land. Like we live TP life. You set up your TP, you're there for the season on the earth, or maybe you've got something up underneath the TP and the water and the wind are just flowing right around it. It's not creating all this stagnant areas all around it. And then you pick up and then you leave and the earth is able to regenerate and to, to regrow. And you really feel like you're a part of the earth. When you're living out in it, you don't think it starts to rainstorm and you don't think, oh man, I got to get inside because it's raining because you're really there part of it. It's just another element of life that you're living. You know, if it's cold and really come down, you go in the teepee and start a fire, but it's, you're not sheltered and locked away from that outside world when you're out in it. You know, so I kind of get upset when someone talks about the weather. Talks about, oh, it's so nasty outside. It's so disgusting. You're know, like, it's beautiful. Lightning and rain and pouring down and and just living with the elements like that and living with the the fire, cooking by the fire. And, you know, prayer, the fire is a big part of our prayer. And so we're praying with the fire and just we really start to feel really connected with the earth. And you can, you can feel her. And I obviously... Talking about rewilding society, I take step, I'm to the extreme. I can't expect that anybody else is going to to really take take anything to the level that I am doing. But just little elements of that that anybody picks up, you know, I'm happy for that. Um, well, it shows in your thought process. Like I was uh, picking out some excerpts from Liberation's Garden, and it seems like the journey really is from the dead center of like normal mainstream life completely unaware of the ground underneath at all all the way full circle to like going on the journey to kind of finding out that oh there's a whole planet underneath us and now like maybe there's some other people going and getting some influences that are positive about ecological awareness and just knowing where your own feet are falling all the way around to then helping someone else take that next step. Would you say that it, that that is like an important like story archetype of your life? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, I would say so. And you know, like Miles, the character in the book. Yeah, like you say, he's right in the center of it. He's not. He knows it's not right. You know, he knows he can see the he can see the cage, and he understands. He doesn't know what to do about it. Like so many people, and so many people that I meet traveling, that. You know, I started telling them a little bit of my story and they get it. They know, but they, what do you do about it? You know, you're caught in the money world. You're caught with your mortgage and your, your whole setup and you got to have the, the job and the whole thing. It's like so hard to fathom. How do you even break away from that? Or even say you want to run off and go live on the reservation. You can't just, that's intimidating. You can't just go show up there and be like, hey, you know, it's hard to transition into that. And I feel fortunate that I felt called to Standing Rock and that was an opportunity where I could, this could happen for me. Um... And yeah, so then like me, so like him, I wasn't really too bought into the system. You know, I was a capitalist running a you know music production company and doing lessons and that kind of stuff. But I still was always outside of it and didn't let that really be a focus and didn't worry about that kind of stuff too much. But I wasn't at all, I was environmentally conscious for my own part, but wasn't an activist at all. Wasn't, you know, passionate about the pipeline fight or anything like that. And And then... Through this transformation, yeah, then now that's become biggest part of my life, and and I, yeah, and sharing my story with folks as I'm traveling has just has been such a big part because I, I when I'm writing, I try to write to who I was before I went on this journey. Who that's who Miles is, and that's who a lot of folks that are ready to do 
some type of step or are ready to see change or make change. That when I meet folks when I'm traveling, it's really inspiring to see whatever I inspire them or I get them thinking about that there are opportunities for you to to start to make some of this change. And it's it's just really it's really yeah that's a really big part of it is talking with folks and and getting to see that that happens. So that's what I hope this opportunity that we're putting with Unsheltered Earth is is a way a put together organized project where folks could come out for a week or two and be part of something bigger and be living out with the earth and living with the fire. Maybe we have a sweat lodge and getting to be part of that part of the reservation community there and get to see what that's about. And then from there, you know, meet folks and be, they will be able to return and do all sorts of work later on kind of. Oh, wow. So I didn't realize. So you're, you're building these large common structures, but then you're actually going to create kind of like outreach where it didn't even exist before at this particular reservation. Is that right? Um, so yeah, somewhat. So the nonprofit, so Unsheltered Earth is what I've put together. And that's kind of the mm -hmm. outline of the project of how we're going to build it. And really is my vision of community and earthbed community and organic food growing and just kind of the whole entire package, the vision I've been kind of working towards. And when I wrote Liberation's Garden, I wanted to stop writing and working against the system, like standing right, the book I wrote about Sandy Rock, you know, it's, we're fighting against a thing. So with this book, I wanted to really try to manifest the vision of what I've been looking for and that, you know, what that community is. And so then after I wrote it and you, know, you get to the end and there's, you see me experience several different communities of have all these different aspects of, of all sorts of incredible things. And then I was at Sundance, I was out on the reservation this year and a woman that I know through our spiritual community and Sundancer and elders out there, she approached me because she'd heard I'd been doing earth bag stuff. And so she wanted to know about it. She grew up at a rammed earth house, which is another type of earth built house. And then, so through our conversations and meetings, this whole thing kind of worked out that she, she was looking to possibly build earth bag houses and have organic food and build community and build sober community. Sobriety is a big thing out on the reservation. You know, they're certainly affected in a bad way from alcohol. And I've been, mm -hmm. I've been sober since Standing Rock. And so that's an important aspect of it to me. And so basically everything that I was looking for in this vision is what she exactly was looking for. And she already had the land through this nonprofit that she's been running on the reservation. So she, she just needs people to do some shoveling, which that is right up my alley. And so I, it just seemed like the, just the awesome, you know, the most synchronistic thing, just again, you know, the prayer being answered, I put that intent out there and then it worked out in the perfect way. And so her nonprofit is called Lakota Child and Family. And so that's their, we're helping their nonprofit. Their nonprofit's putting this on and has the land and will be connecting with the right families to put the people into the houses. Um, and so it's going to be, like I say, a sober community and she's already, she's a social worker out there on the reservation. So she's got a good pulse on the, you know, a good eye on the pulse of what's, where the needs are. And so the folks that she connects with, those will be the people that are living in the houses full time once we get everything built. And so she's wanting it to kind of be community. Everybody's going to have their own house and doing their own thing, but there also will be community garden and the community center and and be able to bring that back. And so what I've put together is really just a way to organize volunteers because I really just was going to share, tell some friends. I was just going to tell all my friends, Hey, we're doing this thing. 
And so then I was like, well, it'd be cool if we had a website to be able to put more detail because not everybody I talk to, I'm going to be able to get through this whole, let them see how, you know, we've actually got a, quite a bit put together and quite a bit planned. And then I said, well, if we're, if we're doing that, it would be good for people to have a calendar where they could sign up when they were going to come. Because I got a lot of friends that when I talk to them on the phone, they're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll come out sometime next year. But then come next year, everybody's booked up and they got vacation going on. You know, that happens all the time. So I said, well, it'd be good if there's a calendar. And then I said, well, would it be good if we have supply? I put all the supplies on there that we need. That way, if other people want to donate, there's a bunch of Earthbag community Facebooks and there's a lot of people doing earth bags all over the place. And so people may have extra earth bags or extra barbed wire or things like that to donate. Cause I would rather not have to buy new as much as we can, especially bags or petroleum product. And so hopefully we can repurpose a lot of stuff. And so it just kind of, I sat down to make a real simple site and relearn how to do web stuff. And it turned into, well, you've seen it, it's a pretty well put together thing. And so it almost turned into where it was this organization. I wasn't really setting out to make an organization, you know, she's already got her nonprofit. I was just trying to make this thing to where we could put people together. And then it started to seem like anybody could take the same design that I've made, you know, it's just the plans on how to build the earthback house and details about rags and about, you know, it's nothing specific to there. It's a little bit, it talks about the reservation, but really this whole idea could be done anywhere for anybody and at any scale, you know, just a couple houses to a larger scale. And so, you know, hopefully that's, hopefully that happens or folks see what we're doing. Once we get this first year of builds, we can put that out there and that'll inspire other folks to do the same type of thing wherever, you know, everything's open source, everything I put on there, please borrow, take for free for anything. You know, people are wanting to donate obviously, but that's something that I don't at all want to be a part of. I had to think about it for a minute. I said, well, do we need to put a donate thing on here? But, you know, knowing that my philosophy and feeling about money that just started making me sick, thinking that I would have to like monitor some bank account that had donations and then be responsible for donations. It started making me unwind. But the nonprofit that we're working with, Lakota Child and Family, so they are a 501c3 and I'm helping them get set up tomorrow, set up a GoFundMe. And so we'll have a link to that from our site so that anybody that is trying to donate financially, they will be able to do that. But really on my end, Mainly all I was trying to get was volunteer organization and supply donations. And so it's kind of turned into where yeah, I shared it. I hadn't shared it too widely yet. And so I shared it on this, trying to wait to get the nonprofit, get all their details and go find me and that kind of stuff. And then shared it with this one Earthbag Facebook and it immediately started blowing up and got like a hundred likes and people started messaging me and they're like, oh, this is so awesome. I want to be a part of this. And so people are like starting to send messages and... So I think it's, it is going to be, could, has the potential to be that type of outreachy thing, you know, where folks will be able to come out and then experience the earthbag build and learn how to do that. And you work on it for a week or two and you know how to build them. Like I said, it's such a simple process that you could come, people pay thousands of dollars to go to a workshop and build one that's just built as just like a sample where we're actually building them that people are actually going to live in and people that are in need. And then it could turn into who knows what that community is going to turn into as far as folks being able to come back out there throughout the, throughout the years. If we'll keep building houses or I'm trying to not project too much of my vision onto it and trying to really just support what Lakota child and family's vision is on it and not to take over, but just to be able to apply my stuff I'm working on to what they've got going on. So it may turn out that once it's up, it's a lot more private and we don't have people coming out, but then we'll be able to 
move on and do another one the next year somewhere else. What yeah. up? There you are. Yeah, no big deal. I'll just I'll just edit them together. We're kind of in the last. I find that fifty two minutes is like usually the sweet spot. So maybe I'll just ask. The last question I usually do is I just give people the opportunity to do like a like a time and date specific, uh, just like sign off positive message whatever is on your mind because i do usually put these out like in the next day after they get recorded so this is you know we're here at the end of february in 2021 is there just what's on your mind specifically what do you think will help people get into the beginning of march 2021 oh geez um, I think change is coming. I think we are. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been Amen. talking about that for a while. But I think it's happening. I think it's been happening for a while. You know, I think that what we experienced in Standing Rock was a mass awakening of all the folks that were there. And all those folks have gone out on their own journeys and travels and help to you know inspire other folks and it's just kind of spread out from there and then there's been other key steps along the way you know the all the civil unrest and stuff that's been going on this year which on the surface looks looks like a bad thing it's bad the stuff that's been happening for lots and lots of years but the civil unrest you know it's the change is coming, you know, the change is happening and we see it happening and um, so I think it's happening faster and faster. I think more people are waking up to kind of the, that the world that they grew up in being told was one way is not necessarily that way. And I think that I think the big stuff is ahead. I think that it's not necessarily going to be easy, all that. You know, I've been on the climate side of things for, for a while. You know, I, you know, we're already experiencing climate catastrophes and they're getting worse and they're probably going to continue getting worse no matter what we do, you know. So I think that in my own life to prepare for that, I've been rewilding and connecting with the earth and getting to where I feel comfortable not being dependent on the system and so I suggest that to anybody get out of the woods and put your your feet in the earth and learn some basic skills on how to survive how to survive if your house is frozen in Texas for a week and and things like that but I'm I'm just so constantly inspired to keep going when I travel and meet folks from all walks of life that are waking up people are people know that stuff needs to change you know people obviously people that are like me that are doing that are at standing right we all are going to know it but just people that you wouldn't even expect it i'm sitting in the grocery store i'm sitting in the grocery store having a coffee waiting on somebody one day and coffee i got for free by the way um carry your own coffee cup is another tip you get a lot of free coffee that way to save the environment and Ooh, hot tip yeah <laughs> And then I, except now with COVID, a lot of people won't let you refill your cup, which is a ridiculous thing. So just make it on your fire yourself. I just had this conversation with this woman. Just, she saw me, saw me there with my bag. 
my bag and probably had a feather or something hanging from it. She came over and asked me, she said, this is in South Carolina in the middle of nowhere. She said, where are you from? Cause she said, I could tell you're not from here. And we ended up having this just incredible, incredible conversation with this stranger, you know, that I had to sit there for like an hour and had coffee and talked about the struggle that she was experiencing and had moved here for a job and was stuck in this place and knew that it wasn't right and felt that it was, you know, tearing her soul out and just couldn't, knew that it wasn't the right thing, but just, you know, it was so overwhelming. There's so much going on even before. And then now with this last year, it's obviously even more overwhelming. Just so much Just how do you even go about fixing that or correcting things or fixing things, you know, the, the environmental stuff that's going on. That's like such a big issue to even be able to tackle. Even if we stop the KXL or stop these other pipelines, there's just still so much going on. It's so built into everything about our society and civilization is the, you know, the commodification of the natural world and the sense of ownership over that natural world and not the sense of being a part of it, but the sense of having to master it and having to defeat it. Um, and just, you know, through this conversation with her, it was just such, such an inspiring thing to see her be inspired by the things that I'm doing and a little bit of my story and to see that there is other ways and there is other people doing good things out there because she's in the middle of South Carolina, super mainstream, super, never saw anybody else, never saw any hippies, never saw anybody else living in some alternative way. And so just to be able to share my story with her a little bit and then, you know, hitchhiking, I meet all sorts of awesome folks hitchhiking, it's, you know, all sorts of people from all different spectrums of politically or, you know, their way of life. And basically, you know, it's probably also a, the cross edge of people that would be willing to stop and pick me up also are probably understand that this, you know, the mainstream is, they're willing to go outside of the box a little bit, but just the, the folks that I've met traveling, like people, they're, they're ready to change and they're living their change in their own little ways. Like I've met folks, I've helped to do the Earthback House. Some folks came by for a week. They were living hammock life. They've been living in a hammock for 10 years and traveling gorilla style, climbing up into the little public parks and setting up their hammock or on top of buildings or all over. And so there's all sorts of people like this that are living their own change and living their own thing. And so I think that through the struggles that we've been through in this last year, you know, with Corona and, and other stuff going on, civil stuff, that people are coming together and people are ready to bring that change. And like I say, I think it's, I think the transformation I had through Standing Rock was also having to live through a struggle. You know, we were out there in 40 below zero and living in teepees and cooking frozen food and getting shot at with, you know, rubber bullets and tear gas and threats of raids and helicopters going over. So it was this traumatic experience that we experienced together, but it brought us together in this way. And it just fundamentally changed something inside of us going through that and gave us the sense of empowerment that we could survive that, you know, survive that and with flair and with style and stripped us down to where we knew that the only things you needed to survive were in your pocket. You know, it stripped away all this need for all this excess stuff. You know, we didn't need a house full of all this, you know, life possession. If you didn't have it in your pocket, you didn't need it because there was no guarantee you were going to make it back to your teepee before, you know, before the blizzard hit. So as this change is coming, you know, there's a, the earth is going through a transition and it's happening faster and faster. And even if we 
stop all the pollution today or stop everything. This the transition is still going to be happening. We're well into it, and so there's going to be ecological hardships that are going to come. And but I think with that is going to be the same thing that I experienced, but on such a, a massive, larger scale. And we've seen it some with you know COVID, the way that people have come together. And so I think as those happen, we're going to, this is going to get bigger and bigger and more people will wake up and start living in a better way and a good way and a way that more resonates really with their heart and not caught up on having to be tied into this financial world and having to do this thing. Oh, I would really love to go help build earth houses, but I got to have my job. You know, you got to work. Oh, I'd love to do that, but there's no money in it. And so as those, that paradigm starts to break down, that construct breaks down, people will be able to live that heart and live that thing that's on the heart and has always been on the heart and they've just been waiting until they could make enough money to retire to be able to go do that thing and so i think as that starts happening that's you know it's just gonna to, to snowball the, those people are going to be working from their heart which is going to inspire the other folks and we're going to go build this earth bag house and then those folks are going to go start their own thing and then it's just going to i think it's going to come together in a good way and i have got credit my own sense of not getting frustrated and not getting overwhelmed through that spiritual path that I was on and having this deep seated faith and connection with the earth and just knowing, just trust, trust that it's going to work out because it's worked out so perfectly every little step in my life and it's all coming together and I see it coming together all around. And so I, I don't know how it's going to come together. It's overwhelming to think about the whole thing, but I, you just do that one little step and live in that moment and, that's what I was doing. I was doing that one thing that felt right to me. I went and volunteered here and did that. And then that led me to this next place. And that led me to learn about earth bag houses. And then that led me to here. And then now we're here building an earth bag community for folks that need housing in, in a, you know, extreme climate situation. And so I think that live what's on your heart and it's all going to work out in a good way. Oh, yeah. Well, heck yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for that. that. Was exactly just so perfect. That will definitely help me go from February to March this year. I know it will for others. Thank you for your time and your thoughts and your stories. I'll throw up the uh, link to the Unsheltered uh, website for our listeners here. Is there anything else that you uh, want to? just direct people to maybe online or in any of your writings or anything like that. Yeah. You can find, I've written three books, one about standing rock, one about kind of the journey after standing rock, but a lot more philosophical things as I was kind of was learning about them and unwinding, you know, my own place in the earth and how I felt like I could live in a good way. And then this new one, liberations garden, you know, was out last year. Um, fiction is the first one that's actual fiction, but it's pretty real stuff. A lot of that stuff in there's happened. So that's, Liberation's Garden, Uncage Eden, and Step One, Save the World, The Journey of a Water Protector. And so they're all on anywhere you get books, Amazon, Smashwords, Apple, they're all over. There's an audio book of Uncage Eden. Uh, the first books I wrote were pretty long, so I've found brevity, at least this, this one's a little bit more digestible. You know, that, mm -hmm. that first one, Santa Rock, was me having to unpack everything that had happened out there. <laughs> it just means having to try to deal with the trauma and actually i've met a lot of water protectors that have still suffered from the trauma you know we, we mm -hmm. all came back with ptsd for sure and i think me writing really was just therapy and it really just just helped so it's, it's a long it's a long book to get through and i was a novice writer i wasn't a writer before this so this new one liberation's garden it's i think it's actually a book 
Um, yeah, so all available for free download. You can buy paperbacks on Amazon. I don't get any money from that. I've just got it at their list price. So you're only helping to fuel Amazon to destroy the Amazon or whatever they're doing. Right. <laughs> so I would, I would not, unless you really want the paperback. Yeah, which is nicer to read a paperback. Um, yeah. Was- right, but go, go, we'll go paperless or audio if possible. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, DJ, thank you so much again. We will we will do this once again in the future, and I look forward to hearing the updates as South Dakota thaws off. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, thanks again. Have a fantastic night. All right, and I expect to see you out there whenever you have a free week or two. Oh, yeah, man. All right, that sounds good. Absolutely. I, that's one of the offshoots that the whole time I was just thinking, like, man, like, we're having this conversation now, and we're talking, like, oh, I can't get up there now. It's cold, and I'm just like, wow, like, it's going to be months or years and we're gonna be there like looking at an earth bag house and like wow yeah absolutely yeah yeah i'm excited about it cool man well all right have a good all right good to talk to you brother all right much love